Hi, this is Liz Tinkham, and welcome to Third Act, a podcast about people embracing the third act of their lives with a new sense of purpose and direction. The third act begins when your script ends, but your show's not finished. Today, I have a very special episode. I mean, I love all my guests because they so inspire me to use my time, talent, and treasure in pre-retirement. But through his work with the Modern Elder Academy, today's guest, Chip Conley, is focused solely on people like me. So you might want to hang in. Chip was coined the Modern Elder by Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb. After Chip sold his very successful boutique hotel chain, Joie de Vivre, he met the young founders of Airbnb and became their strategic advisor for hospitality and leadership, as well as Brian's mentor. What happened, though, is that this role turned into a mentorship, whereby he imparted his wisdom to the young Airbnb team, but in return, he became a digital intern. This learning led him to launch the Modern Elder Academy, the world's first midlife wisdom school. Participants of the Academy learned to repurpose a lifetime of experience into the modern workplace. On today's show, Chip talks about what he says are his Baja moments of modern wisdom and how people can take that wisdom and give it new purpose. Sounds like something I need and something you're gonna love. On with the show. Chip, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Where do I find you? Liz, I am in Baja, luckily. Uh, it's uh, beautiful, sunny weather down here. Oh, great. Like, what's the temperature down there? You know, it's about, today will be about 78, probably. Oh. You know, and, you know, it's, it's 65, 62 at night. So it's cool and cool, a little bit cooler. So very oh, nice. How gorgeous. How gorgeous. All right. Well, let's dive right into it. So as I mentioned in the intro, um, you were the head of hospitality for Brian Chesky at Airbnb, and but also Brian's mentor. And I was rereading, I was just saying, I was rereading the, your book of, uh, in preparation for the interview. And I just want to read a quote from Brian in the foreword. Um, and I want you to comment on it. He says, Chip consistently demonstrated the reciprocal power of a modern elder. He affirmed that while we all have a story to share and something to learn from one another. So what did both you and Brian learn from the experience of you coming in and being a modern elder to him? Okay, well, um, so let me give some back background yeah, on it. Yeah, please it, do. It, it was eight and a half years ago that he and his two co-founders approached me. I was a longtime boutique hotelier, had started a, a company called Joie de Vivre based in San Francisco, ran it as a CEO for 24 years. And when Brian approached me, he said, I want you to help us democratize hospitality we're disrupting an industry we really don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's often what disruptors do is they they, right, right. they have an idea, but they don't really understand the landscape. And so I joined to help share my knowledge of, of hospitality and travel. But as Brian said to me when he called me their modern elder, he said, what, what we got is what we wanted was your knowledge. What we got was your wisdom. So I, th I think what I offered Brian was more than just knowledge of travel, but knowledge of people humans, it, you know, emotional intelligence is something we, we get better at with age. And then what I got from him was DQ. So I gave him EQ. He gave me DQ, digital intelligence, not Dairy Queen, but, but <laughs> little soft service. Yeah. Though, yeah. So soft serve. Exactly. <laughs> uh, there you go. I like that, Liz. You're, you're fast. Um, yeah. So digital intelligence, I had no, never worked in a, in a, a tech company before. I didn't understand what product was and what UX meant, user experience. And yeah. And so I learned a lot about the the state of you know modern companies and and the technology industry. And seven of the ten most 
valuable companies in the world today are tech companies. So I learned yeah. a lot about that. Yeah. So you kind of coined this term of mentorship, and I love that. And I think a lot of our listeners will love it. Tell us about what is a mentorship? So a mentor is someone who is both a mentor and an intern at the same time. So a mentorship, it means that you have built a relationship maybe with someone or a group of people with whom you are teaching and learning. And, it, and, it, and this is what a modern elder is. A modern elder is as curious as they are wise. So it's yeah. not about just dispensing wisdom. It's wisdom seeking as much as wisdom keeping. And, and that idea really was solidified in the fact that I had over 100 mentees during my eight years at Airbnb, four years full-time, four years as an advisor. But I would say that about 80% of those 100 mentees were people that I was learning from. So it was a mentorship because I was not just mentoring, but I was interning as well. Yeah. And I know in your book, you recommend going back and watching the De Niro movie of the intern yeah. with Anne Hathaway. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> which I mean, great. it's so just... funny. I was having that experience. Yeah. And then I watched the movie and I was like, oh, wow, this is. But, it, but here's the difference between me and Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro came in as the intern, but he was truly the mentor. I came in as the mentor and I was ultimately truly the intern <laughs> because I'd never worked in a tech company before. So um, yeah. How do you go about becoming a mentor or finding a mentorship? Because actually I was, I've been thinking about it. I'm like, God, I'd be a perfect mentor, but keep going. This is about you, not about me. So that's how okay. do you do it? No, I think some of it, well, first of all, in this case, I was just tapped on the shoulder. So that was yeah. very, very lucky. And who knew that this company was going to become the most valuable company in the hospitality world globally? Um, so good on me for good karma, I guess, came my way. But I think generally it's, it's going out there and being in environments where you're going to meet people who could use your wisdom. And sometimes that means, you know, moving back into a post-COVID world where there might be networking opportunities, you know, cocktail parties, conversations that go on. Whether It could be a Zoom as well, but there's opportunities to meet and and make yourself available to people. There are also platforms to do that. There's something called Mentor Cloud. There's, oh my gosh, there's so many different mentoring platforms now that are starting to come out. And I would just say, if I, if I was really interested in this, I would, I would go and see what are all of the mentoring platforms that exist out there and how could I put myself out there as a potential mentor? But at the end of the day, it's probably gonna be somebody in your world. It's gonna be like two or three degrees of separation from you someone who knows someone who knows you, who needs your wisdom. But I would start by thinking, what is it that you have to offer? What's the wisdom, you know, beyond just like in my case, knowledge of hospitality and travel. Wow, I didn't really realize that I had wisdom around emotional intelligence and leadership that would be valuable to these guys. Okay, so figure that out first. Figure out what you have to offer and then you can take it out there. Now I wanna talk a little bit about this notion of being a modern elder and first, focus on that word elder, because it's funny because I've been telling people about your book and about talking with you and everyone's like, why did he pick the word elder? It's sort of like makes you feel old. And I know in your book, you said crotchety and wrinkled and I'm looking at you and I'm looking at me and I don't think either one of us looks crotchety or wrinkled. So how'd you come up with that? Well, I didn't. Uh, it was uh, Brian and one oh, of Brian, his, did. Okay. Brian and one of his co-founders started calling me the modern elder. So I was the yeah. modern, modern elder of Airbnb. So I had to eat. My initial reaction was like many others which is like, I don't want to be modern elderly. But I was, what they said to me is, an elder's not someone who's in the last five or 10 years of their life. There's someone who is, relatively speaking, older and more experienced than the people around them. 
And at Airbnb, I was 52 when I joined. I'm 60 now. And um, the average age in the company was 26. So I was twice the age. So in an environment like that, <clears throat> no doubt I was an elder. And let's talk about you know the ageism that we have in the United States. So we live in a place where um, to be someone with experience and age can sometimes actually be uh, seen as a detriment. And so I, I'm a bit of a rebel by nature. So like the idea that we're going to try to win back a word, elder, not elderly, but elder, in a way that helps it become relevant again is, you know, I like that. I like it's a little audacious, but it's, it's also a true word. It's a word that describes many of us given the environments we're in. Some of my other guests have talked about the ageism that they've faced, particularly I, you know, the podcast is targeted in some ways towards women sort of my age and women in particular really face it. What did you see at Airbnb and then also through your work in Silicon Valley? What kind of ageism do you see and, and do you see it changing at all? There are certain industries and kinds of work that are naturally, I don't want to say naturally ageist, but they tend to be ageist. What like being a software engineer in Silicon Valley after age 35, um, being in the advertising- 35? After 35, after yep. Being in the advertising industry after age 40. Uh, be, obviously being a fashion model or professional sports, those are natural because those are all about your body and be your beauty. But I think that, there, that what I saw in Silicon Valley, I saw people putting Botox in their face. I didn't see them doing it, but I, I talked with them because they were personally- worried that people would think they're older uh, and, and how there. and like how old were these people uh mid to later 40s okay. um so uh i also know people who actually lie uh in terms of what their graduation date was from college and so what is this what's going on here well you know when people like mark zuckerberg said long ago that you know young people are just smarter and numerous venture capitalists have said that they only fund entrepreneurs who are 30 or younger, you, you start to hear in, in that Silicon Valley echo chamber, the idea that somehow being older is a negative. And yet uh, the Kauffman Foundation and others have shown with research that the likelihood of success for an entrepreneur in their 50s is much higher than for some, an entrepreneur in their 30s. Now, some people then disputed that and said, okay, well, that's because they're, they're doing a, you know, uh, I don't know, a subway franchise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so then they actually studied this from an industry perspective. And yes, in fact, even by industry, a technology entrepreneur in their 50s will do better than one in their 20s. And, and so there's the, why is that? It's lot, there's lots of reasons for it. One of the things that, that in, in Silicon Valley, though, that the mess, one of the sort of narratives is, and, and I know it with the Airbnb founders, Founders who are young are maniacal in terms of their their myopic point of view on, I only focus on this. The older you get, the more obligations, responsibilities, and other interests you have. And so that is one of the risks, is that yes, it is true, you live a more full-bodied, holistic life as you get older, and therefore you're not going to be the 20-hour-a-day entrepreneur. And, you know, so that... For some investors, that might be a negative. For me, I, I, if you know running a company, starting and running a company is a marathon, you know that having that holistic life is probably wise. Yeah. 
So in your book, you give some great advice to CEOs, young or old, about how to become a a more um, accepting workplace to have either modern elders or older people. What do you think, I mean, have you seen the adoption of that start or what do you think it's gonna take? And what can some of our listeners do who are still out there working? Because a, a lot of them are in the C-suite of some of these companies now. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a whole collection. Chapter nine of my book, Wisdom, yeah. Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, is all about the variety of ways, like 10 different suggestions a company could do. Well, let me give you maybe three. Number one is there's a growing number of companies that are creating employee resource groups, also known as ERGs, focused on age. At Airbnb, it was called Wisdom at Airbnb. It was people 40 and older, as well as people who are younger, who are their allies. But there are also intergenerational ERGs in many companies. I gave a talk not too long ago to Humana, the Humana uh, ERG for intergenerational. I think that's a good one. So, you know, we have we have women ERGs. We have... African-Americans, we have LGBTQ, we have lots of ERGs, but we don't usually have them related to age. So that's one. Number two is, here's a question that any company can start asking on their employee satisfaction surveys. Other than your boss, who in the company do you seek out for advice or wisdom? This is a great question. Now, it's a qualitative question. It doesn't, you know, it means that someone's going to have to tabulate this or people have to tabulate it by hand because you can't, it's not a multiple choice. But what it does is let's say you have 500 people in your company. What you can do is see here are the people in the company, the top 10 list, for example, that are perceived as the wisest. Now, you don't, I would not put out a top 10 list of here's the wisest people in the company. But what I would do is create almost like a heat map and say, this is where wisdom resides in our company. How are we? unlocking that wisdom uh, such that those people those people have a broader perspective for example in one company i know they took their top four people and they said these are seem to be the wisest people let's offer them the opportunity for free for um, leadership coaching leadership coaching and mentorship so that they could potentially then allocate once they get some training maybe they take you know two-thirds of their time to their normal job but now we allocate one third of their job to actually becoming an in-house coach. Ah, makes good sense. Good idea. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. okay. Third idea. The third idea would be how are we creating a longevity strategy for the company? Now, what does that mean? So we have like if you ask someone twenty years ago, what's your your Asia strategy? Like, how are you going to from a customer and an employee perspective, you know, drive your business into Asia? Nobody would be saying that's a bad idea, especially if you're a global company. But we actually have very few companies out there that actually have a longevity strategy oriented toward older workers and older customers. And there's, there are so many different things you can do as a company. For example, for older workers, do you have a way for older employees who have a lot of institutionalism to, over time, reduce their number of days a week that they're working from five to four to three, maybe to two, and correspondingly reduce their their compensation. Now, this is a great plan. Most companies don't do this because they, they have a binary perspective. You're either full-time or you're not. But if you talk to people 60 and older, what they really want is, is to actually move into a part-time plan. Yeah. So you lose great people because you don't even offer that. And then guess what? I mean, if people are going to be living longer and, and, and yet the advertising world tends to, 
you know, focus on marketing to youth, what are we missing as companies when we're, when our customer base, Airbnb being one of them, Airbnb's, Airbnb's fastest growing set of hosts in the world are, are hosts 50 and older. Mostly what, women, right? Mostly too? women too. Right. What is the company doing to market to those people? It's, it's clearly showing a natural tendency to grow, but most companies don't actually look at, okay, what is it that these people need? Um, because these people may have a different need than millennials. Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny because when I retired, it was very much of a on off, like you're going 60, 70 hours a week and then it's you're done. Right. There's no. So this is why, no, frankly, yeah. retirement tends to, you know, the, the, the research has shown accelerates mortality by two years. <laughs> yeah, because you. Yeah, I, I would. I totally get that. So the good news is my husband, who's very wise, had curated some great books for me to read. One of them, which is younger next year, but I'm adding your book into my recommended wisdom because it's just a great way to transition as well. So I want to move on. You said something. I was listening to your podcast. Liz, I love your energy. You have. Oh gosh, this <laughs> is not... one. Of, this is what. So let me say one thing, and then let's go back to your question. So yeah, sometimes people who are older say, you know what, I just. I feel I can't get an interview. And if I get an interview, they just, they judge me based upon my, my wrinkles or like, I said, listen, what I heard from an, an executive recruiter once was really valuable. She said, if you show up with, with curiosity and passionate engagement, they don't notice your wrinkles. They notice your energy. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Well, you're, uh, again, this is, your book is fascinating and what you're doing is fascinating. I listened to your interview with Tim Ferriss and I you said something that I totally agree with and I think and I share your thinking on which is life not being a one tank journey. So can you talk more about this notion of I'm going to hopefully don't botch it middle sense or like adolescence middle essence middle essence middle essence yeah. So adolescence as a word is only 117 years old it was created in 1904 prior to that point there we did not have if you hit puberty you were an adult. And then, you know, a psychologist said, hey, there's this thing called adolescence and you're going through emotional and hormonal changes and it's, it's the transition phase from childhood to adulthood. Well, now sociologists are saying there's something called middlescence. Makes sense. You're going through emotional and hormonal and identity changes, often in your you know, 50s, let's say, but it can happen from 45 to 65, let's call it. And guess what? It's the transition era between adulthood and what might be called elderhood. Now, elderhood's not elderly. Elderhood could last three or four decades. So what does that mean? That means basically we have an opportunity to look at refueling ourselves in this middle essence period. What is that? So the way we've historically looked at life is you learn till you're 20 or 25, you earn till you're 65, and then you retire till you die. And, and that, that model, <laughs> you keel over. Yeah, yeah, the model is sort of broken because frankly, millennials look at that and say that three-stage life doesn't work. So instead, what, is, what, is it, what if it is more like you, work, you learn and then you work and then you might do a refueling? The refueling might be in, at 40 years old and refueling might be going back to get a master's. Refueling might be taking a gap year. Refueling uh, for a lot of women might be having, having or and men, having children. And then taking a little bit of time off from work and then coming back. So the refueling, the one tank journey is the premise of you fuel up in college or graduate school early in life. And that tank of gas lasts you a lifetime. And we wonder why people are limping into their 50s and 60s on fumes. 
And so uh, this is basically part of the premise of why I created MEA, Modern Elder mm -hmm. Academy, which we'll talk about, and why it's a midlife wisdom school. Yeah, so talk about it. Tell us okay. what it is. So when I was writing the book, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, down here in Baja, where I had, had a home on the beach uh, about an hour north of Cabo San Lucas, I went for a run one day and I had a, an epiphany, a Baja Aha. And the Baja, Baja Aha, Aha. Yes. <laughs> I love that. The Baja Aha was like, why is it that we don't have schools that help people repurpose and, uh, themselves and cultivate and harvest their wisdom in midlife and beyond? So uh, after the run, started working on the business plan, created, bought a lot of the land and homes around me and created this campus. And three and a half years ago, we opened with the, what's, what's known as MEA or the Modern Elder Academy. And we've now had 1,250 alumni from 25 countries. And we're, it's become so popular that we um, are, have now bought a 2,600-acre ranch outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico for our second campus. And then we may have a third campus also in the town of Santa Fe. So it's really, it's exciting. And it's, it's sort of disrupting a combination of higher education because it's saying to the higher education world, you know what, You're, you may go out of business if you only focus on people 20 and younger, 25 and younger, and many of you are going out of business because of COVID. So what if you were to actually take your campus and if you're about to go out of business, as is true for many liberal arts schools, what if you just said our new program is we do one year certificates uh, for people who want to take a gap year in midlife and we help you to repurpose yourself. I think that's great. And then the other thing it's uh, in many ways helping to disrupt is the senior living community uh, because we have homes and this is not a retirement community. It's a regenerative community. So tell me, so why do people go? Like what, it, give me some examples of what people do there, what they learn, et cetera. Let me give you, I'll give you three quick case studies. So one is a, a, a an entrepreneur. She sold her company. She's 52 years old at an average age of people who comes about 54. Um, and she doesn't know what's next for her. So she's had a successful life. And the question she has in her head is success. I, I've had success, but what's significance to me? Like what, what could I do that actually would give me a sense that I, I am serving the world as opposed to just myself. And so that's a person who's like thinking, okay, I, I've got, I've got, I, we call it same seed, different soil. I've got a talent, a seed, but now I'm going to do it in a different industry or I'm going to do, some, do something that is, feels like what's often called an encore career. So that's one profile. Second profile is the person, let's say it's a man who's 60 years old. He has a little bit of retirement savings, but not a lot. He has worked in a career in in as a mid-level manager in nonprofits. And he is in an industry, frankly, where he's not seeming to be respected anymore. And he's trying to think like, oh man, I'm see I'm experiencing ageism all the time. And I, and it's affecting myself. I've lost my sense of confidence. I need to go and try to re restart my batteries around like what it is that I can do in the world. And so in that case, the first person's like sort of a very successful person. The second person is like someone who doesn't feel successful, and they and, and they may and they may be in any industry. We so you know half of our people get a, a scholarship, so we have lots of people who can't afford to come to the program, and we we allow we we welcome them. A third kind of person is maybe somebody who is actually younger, maybe a coach, maybe they're in the business of helping coach people around their own aging. They might be instead of you know, 55 or 60, they might be in their early 40s. But they're also somebody who's precocious enough 
to say, I am an elder in training. I want to learn how to become wiser. And I want to understand how to actually shift my mindset on aging, even at a younger age. So we've had people from age 30 to age 88 uh, come to our program. And 88? Yeah, that was spectacular. Wow. So we what have, did the, just, I have to ask, what did the 88-year-old come to think about it? Do you know? She came because Paul Hawken, a famous uh, entrepreneur and environmentalist, was doing a program and she's a huge Paul Hawken fan. And so she oh, came okay. She came, and she also was at 88. She was saying, I wanna rethink what, where I take my career next. <laughs> she's living that hundred year life, right? She so, is wow. for sure. 88. Um, so we'll put in the show notes how to find the Modern Elder Academy, but when will you guys reopen in terms of live classes? So we'll have live classes down here in uh, Baja starting uh, Thanksgiving. And we have two other options. In the meantime, we have MEA Online, which is our online program. Next next uh, one of those starts June 5th, and then there's one starting again in October. And um, then we also have uh, sabbatical sessions, which are longer stays with a lighter amount of programming down here at our Baja campus. But it's more COVID-friendly because everybody everything's optional. Your book uh, lists some really great resources for help in terms of how do you start thinking about the transition, et cetera. So I'm not going to drain all that. You've made a really lovely, elegant uh, transition into the middle essence or middle sense. So how, you know, giving back, working at Airbnb, teaching people, what advice do you have for our listeners on how to get started on their journey? Aside from reading your book, what else would you recommend? Well, I think, I mean, often people say they want to put together the list of what it is that they want in their life or in their career or whatever. I'm a big believer in editing. Carl Jung, uh, the famous psychologist, said the first half of your life is about accumulating. The second half of your life is about editing. And so I actually think rather than saying, here's all the things I'm looking for on my next path, I think the, the, what I would suggest you consider is what is it that you don't want? <laughs> what are the yeah. things, you know, whether it's the kind of culture in a company, what kind of boss you might have, kind of industry you're in, kind of hours you're working, kind you know, kind of people you're working with. I think often it's very valuable to sort of say, let's do the let's create the filters and the edits so that then you know what you're not going to look at. Because actually quite often when someone says, I want to focus on everything I do want, it becomes the world is my oyster and it's really hard to to filter down what it is that you might you should be focusing on. All right. So if I've retired from my big job and I'm thinking about my transition, first thing to do then is think about all the things I don't want, which should be easy after thinking after living a long life of work. Right. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chip, I almost named this podcast. Um, I'm not done yet. So what aren't you done with yet? You know, I think I'm not what I'm not done with is completely revitalizing the senior living community uh, world. Retirement communities sort of got off the ground with Dell Webb and Sun City yep. in, in 1960, <laughs> yeah, the, year City. I, the year I was born, 1960. And, and the truth is that there are not a lot of people who are, say, 70 and younger who are enamored with the idea of living with a, in a retired community, retirement community. I think senior living is getting better at, at addressing the evolving needs of baby boomers and soon Gen Xers. But I really think it's not, it, we need to look at intergenerational communities, um, communities that have co-working operations, opportunities for to mentor entrepreneurs, 
So you have, you're an older entrepreneur moving into a place, but how can you connect with younger entrepreneurs? Um, opportunities to volunteer in the community. And I think instead of having a golf course right in front of you, a fairway, how about a farm? You know, so you can have, you know, farm to table food, you know, and, and, a, and a, the three things that people need in at age 50 and uh, later, according to Dr. Phil Pizzo from Stanford, are purpose, wellness, and community. And that's what our regenerative communities are all about. And, and you're building one, right, in New Mexico? We're, we're building one in New Mexico. We also have both here in Baja, we have both our Modern Elder Academy, Academy campus and then a place called Baja Sage, which is a residential community uh, about a mile away. But in the future, we will build it as part of the same complex. In, 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 in Santa Fe, that's what we're doing. Got it. Well, thank you so much, Chip, for your time. I really appreciate it. This is fascinating. I know our listeners will love it. I will let you get back to surfing and uh, more to come. All right. <laughs> thank you, care. Liz. All right. Bye. Thanks for joining me today to listen to the Third Act podcast. You can find show notes, guest bios, and more at thirdactpodcast.com. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. I'm your host, Liz Tinkham. I'll be back next week with another guest who's found new meaning and fulfillment in the third act of their life.